0: Hey, Real Talk podcast listeners, what's the right move with homeless encampments and open drug use? Should Canada ban cigarettes for good? Is it really that outrageous to suggest certain clothing brands just aren't for everybody? Veteran broadcasters Linda Steele and Jody Vance tackle these hot button questions and more in our very first Real Talk Roundtable of 2024.
1: This is a relay project. Real Talk starts right now. Here's Ryan Jesperson.
0: All right, I'm not talking about anything today before I talk about the Real Talk Pond Hockey Classic that's coming up on Saturday, February 3rd. Because <laughs> I blew it yesterday. You and I even talked about when I was going to talk about it on yeah, the show. Did, and yeah. then I got so excited about other things, and and, and it just slipped my mind. I understand. Which, which it know, happens. is bound to happen from time to time. So here's the deal, friends. You know it. If you're watching on YouTube, check this out. The aerial shots, the drone shots, as our videographers captured the beauty that is the Real Talk Pond Hockey Classic. This was last year's that you're seeing. We're doing our third annual Saturday, February 3rd. This is in support of uncles and aunts at large and kids Sport St. Albert. We're doing everything we can to remove financial barriers uh, for kids to get into sport and also to provide supports for for families and individuals as well that can use it. It's going to be a day of so much fun. Johnny Infamous will be spinning the tunes. We're going to have a bunch of bonfires and and beers and burgers and of course we'll have uh, 10 different rinks with 24 teams. It's an absolute blast. All for a great cause. You can sign up right now to volunteer. You can sign up your team or you can uh, inquire about sponsorship opportunities. You just go to our website, RyanJesperson.com. Click on events. And you'll see it from there. That's Saturday, February 3rd, the Real Talk Pond Hockey Classic. I Hugh, can't you wait. up for that, pal? Oh, yeah. It's going to be a good one. It's always a highlight of the year. Uh, this episode of Real Talk is going to be a special one. It's our first Real Talk Roundtable of 2024. And we're not messing around. Linda Steele and Jody Vance in just a second. But the fact is, this episode doesn't happen without Rello, who's putting out a call to those of you that at this time of year, you may not call it a resolution. But the fact is, when the calendar flips over, you start thinking about Maybe shaking things up You've been dreaming about starting a new career Being your own boss I don't know, leaving cubicle life behind for good If unlimited earning potential Plus all that other stuff sounds good A career in Real estate could be your perfect match. You can get started today by enrolling with Rello. That's R-E-L-O. Rello's Alberta's top real estate school. They want to support you every step of the way from studying for your exam to getting your license. Plus, with Rello, there's that advantage of studying 100% online, so you can do it on your own schedule. Right now, a great special for Real Talkers with the promo code REALTALK, all one word. They're going to knock 20% off the cost of any Rello course. That's the promo code real talk at rello.ca. They are Canadian broadcast legends. They've built uh, audiences uh, over the course of uh, decades in front of uh, TV cameras talking sports and news and politics and life. The fact of the matter is People trust what they have to say. It's why their show Steele and Vance sees such success on the West Coast on check, and it's why they're back here by popular demand. It's a real pleasure to say hello to our good friends, Linda Steele, Jody Vance, who have already been pointing out on social media today, and we don't blame you. You are up bright and early. Thank you for setting your alarms earlier than normal to make this (laughs) happen. Linda Steele, happy New Year to you.
1: Happy New Year to you, Ryan, and everybody listening and watching.
0: Yeah, Jody Vance, how are you doing, my friend? It's been a while since we've last chatted.
2: It's been too long, in fact. Happy New Year to you. Good to be back with you.
0: Yeah, can I, can I, can I get into something that's just real life? and I won't call it a downer, it's real life, but it was. I'm assuming um, that it was a bit of a tough Christmas for you. You had, you had, a, you had a tough year. You, you okay to get real with it right now?
2: Oh, I'm always ready for getting real with you, Ryan, and I know I'm not alone in in having suffered a significant loss in our family. My my stepdad passed away at the end of July after a short battle with uh, cancer, and it, uh, yeah, it turned our family upside down. Uh, Ironically, no, I don't even know what the right word is our collective GP also passed away 14 days later. Mm. Uh, So we found ourselves in crisis on multiple fronts. There's my stepdad. That was from this spring, sitting with my mom at his favorite gay bar in (laughs) Palm Springs, hanging with the drag queens, wearing the wigs like Bruce Bean was... Uh, my mentor, a force of nature, an amazing individual, lived to be almost 86, lived a very rich, long, long and beautiful life. But, uh, yeah, very difficult mm-hmm. holiday season, as I know so many people uh, across the country and really across the world um, have have suffered along with me uh, having an empty seat at the table. But we gathered and we did so with my mom. And, and you know, we, we made the very, very best of this uh, of this season, um, even with that in our hearts as it were
0: yeah it's like the the holidays just you know for a lot of people obviously there's these times if you have kids in the house it's this magical time or or if like like for us our i tweeted about this kind of on the flip side jody my heart was really full this christmas because and and i don't talk about it too much but but our our boxer moses i recognize we're talking about humans and then dogs and there's a difference but still very similar in your heart very you know and uh and moses has has had a really difficult year and and we know he's Kind of, it feels weird to talk about it, but on borrowed time a little bit. He's rallying. He's a big tough guy, but but we he said didn't, he
2: was almost sixteen, right? Well, I mean, he no, he's 16. well. We we're
0: hoping he'll see twelve, but but 12, uh Sorry, yeah, but he's, know. you know, he's a big boxer, Mine went right? Sixteen. That's wild. Have, smaller. My big dog went smaller. You a never big dog. Sixteen. Nope. Fenway
2: was a he was a collie shepherd cross. He did have some beagle to make his legs a little bit shorter, in it, or or corgi. Um, but uh no, he was a you know. 65 70 pound dog wow. he lived to be almost 16 and ran 3k that day so oh
0: wow yeah, yeah so there's uh,
2: good hope for your boy
0: yeah well Moses couldn't run 3k because uh, I I wouldn't be able to get him 3k there I couldn't <laughs> run 3k but 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 my point being that that, that was made this Christmas kind of special for us because we didn't know that or didn't expect that he would be with us and but then you you know we think of and I, I don't think she'd mind me bringing it up I checked in with our good friend Sapria Devetti yesterday and, and obviously she lost her husband this year very Horrific and tragic circumstance, a, a very young guy and, and cancer, yeah, yeah. just merciless in, in noops passing. And, and we checked in with her and she said, yeah, obviously it was a really difficult Christmas. But but for her little, you know, her beautiful daughter, um, the magic of Christmas was there because she's maybe a little bit too young to kind of process everything that's that's going on. So, I mean, just I, I appreciate checking in with friends and understanding that everybody's holiday brings different emotions to the table. Linda's just the way that it goes.
1: Yeah, mine was um, getting up very early in the morning so we could drive out to Surrey, which is about an hour from Vancouver, because my husband is the new Surrey police chief, and he wanted to go say hi to the troops on uh, Christmas morning. And I sat out in the truck and waited for like uh, 45 minutes. And then we drove to the nursing home uh, with a big stocking and some treats for my dad. So my whole experience of living in Vancouver since 2011 has been a dementia journey with my mom first and then my dad. And I'll tell you what, it is um, a sobering experience to be in a long-term care facility on Christmas Day because it's pretty darn quiet. There's not a lot of people visiting.
0: Yeah, you, you call it a dementia journey. And that's for anybody that's that has any experience in that. They, they know that the word journey uh is the right word to choose because everybody's on it and there's there's a lot that's kind of unexpected that comes with it. It's 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 tougher if if you've not walked miles in those shoes, you can't understand how tough it is.
2: I wouldn't waste
1: it on my words. Yeah, ride. I mean they call it the ride. long goodbye. Yeah? yeah. And it's just like saying goodbye and watching a person change into somebody else and sort of slip away and there's still good moments, but it's a sad, confusing Journey that, as Jody says, you'd never wish on anybody.
0: Yeah. Alzheimer's Awareness Month this month. And uh, is, is that something that the two of you are are uh, sort of like involved in at all? Or it's it's obviously something that, that would be on your radar based on your family experience.
2: Well, I've done some work with Clear Alzheimer's, which is sort of the equivalent of the Terry Fox Foundation of uh f- nonprofits they they fundraise clear fundraises with a volunteer board and, and all donations go directly towards research um definitely trying to push forward uh, anything that might help people to not suffer what Linda and I and so many millions of others uh, have dealt with on an Alzheimer's or dementia journey there, there's got to be a cure there's got to be a way there's got to be something we can move forward on this and if we can help you know anybody avoid the the tragedy that is the the long goodbye um, and and trying to also lend our experience um, with managing and, and caring for our loved ones who suffer Alzheimer's this horrible disease but there are lessons to be learned that help you navigate it and I think that that's a big part of what Linda and I want to put forward in this month while we you know raise awareness and and hopefully raise some some much needed uh, money for organizations like clear Alzheimer's um, but also be able to share our lived experience to help people that are going through it that are just starting out on it because as I'm sure Linda can speak to here with me I'm positive in fact is is there's no handbook on it when you start down this journey and when you when we spoke that's we really bonded as colleagues over the subject of having the shared experience of a parent with dementia.
0: Yeah, no kidding. Jillian in our live chat right now on YouTube says, uh, she says, my mom's had Alzheimer's for years. It's weird having a parent who's there, but not, uh, which is a, a such a good yeah. way to put it. We have, uh, you know, my wife, Carrie, her uncle is, is sort of, I mean, this is, you know, they've just had to, they've moved him into care um, just in the last month. And that's a really difficult uh-huh. time for everybody, right? Like, yeah. you know, I get emotional just thinking about it, but they were trying to like make a last family trip happen and, and it just, everything sort of went sideways so fast that they couldn't and that, you know, they got him into the hospital while they were waiting to find a bed in this care center. And, and meantime, he's kind of confused and doesn't understand. In a way, uh, this will probably come out wrong or at least clumsy, but in a way, it's almost a blessing that he's a little bit oblivious to what's going on right now because there's been such turmoil. You know what I mean? Uh, but even watching everybody, watching his daughter, you know, he'll, he'll tell the same story, you know, five or six or seven times in a row with 10 seconds in between each story. and And it just reiterates to you, wow, this is a merciless disease. I
1: think the best advice I can give anyone that's, you know, going through the journey or just entering into it, is to meet the person where they are. They're not really the same father that you knew or mother or uncle or what have you. They're a different person. There's still things that are joyous, uh, still parts of their personality that are remaining intact. But the reality is, it's such a surreal, bizarre journey where suddenly somebody thinks they've been kidnapped or they think that you're their girlfriend instead of their daughter. And it's just like a real mind thing, you know, and you sometimes want to fight back and say, Oh, no, no, that's not right. And Oh, you're wrong. And -and so-and-so is dead already. If they think their wife is still alive or what have you, and you just can't, you just have to be where they are in the moment as hard as that is and go along with it or redirect.
0: Mm. Um, can I ask you about something completely different, Linda? I didn't. I'm, I'm embarrassed. So I didn't realize your husband had had been named Surrey's police chief. Was that a while ago? Like four- uh, it
1: was. He's yeah, just past three, three years, and it has just been a cluster, I a know! political firestorm. It has been the most miserable experience for me watching uh, him try to navigate the politics and the gamesmanship and the nastiness and the rhetoric is just like it's just crazy okay
0: so i don't want to put you in a tough spot like you know some people like when family's involved in things they can't comment on it so if you can't just say but so if i remember correctly you and you is right his name's norm you and norm were living in edmonton he's had a long career in policing you obviously a long career in broadcasting and if i understand correctly wasn't he had been promoted within the rcmp which is why you moved to the west coast is that right
1: Well, he was a deputy uh, chief with the Edmonton Police Service. But uh, the Mounties had decided, you know what? We need to get into the new era of policing. Uh, We're not very good at municipal policing. So they decided for the first time ever to go outside their ranks and bring in municipal officers at a high level. I see. And he was one of the first and the last for them to do that at the RCMP.
0: Okay. And then, there, so then now Surrey's been a bit of a, well, I can't, I don't know if I say case study because it's, it's happening as we speak, but people are keeping an eye on Surrey because there's a lot of talk in Alberta right now about, you know, saying goodbye to the RCMP and, and implementing yeah. an Alberta police service, Grand Prairies uh, implementing they're you know, implementing a municipal police service right now uh, saying goodbye to the RCMP there. Uh, So can you comment or do you have an opinion on on what's going on in Surrey and what you think is the right move or the wrong move or or am I painting you in a corner here.
1: Well, remember, Surrey is almost as big as Vancouver now and is predicted to be the biggest city in B.C. by 2030. So it's growing. There's 10,000 people a month moving in there. And uh, the RCMP do not police a municipality of that size. They normally do smaller jurisdictions. And so Surrey has outgrown the RCMP. It needs its own municipal force that can pivot on a dime, be really reactive to the community. So Norm's task was to build from the bottom up the best municipal police service in Canada with the best, you know, tactics and training and what have you that is really responsive to Surrey instead of Ottawa. And so I think a municipal police department is the way to go. The mayor thought that when they were elected, it was a full unanimous decision on council until the one woman who suddenly had a falling out with the mayor changed her opinion and then ran for election as mayor herself in getting rid of the Surrey Police Service, the municipal force and keeping the RCMP. So it has been a political barnstorm for three years.
0: <laughs> Jody, I couldn't ignore th- your facial expression when I was asking Linda about it. Would, do, you, do you have a strong feeling on it?
2: Well, I do, actually, Ryan, because, I mean, Linda and I talk about this on our show, which, as you mentioned, you know, some people think that family members shouldn't comment, whatever, and, and on Steel and Vance, when I said, this is a big story, and, and it impacts you, and we should talk about it, and at first, Linda was like, mm, you know, I don't want to appear to put my thumb on the scale, I believe is something that that was said. And I'm like, you would never do that. And you have the unique position of being able to come at it from a a steel on your side, longtime journalist, you know, uh, incredible communicator. Uh, You can educate people and I can come at it as a frustrated citizen watching this happen. I don't live in Surrey, but I grew up just next to it. And certainly now the upheaval that's happening between the mayor, Brenda Locke, and the province, uh, particularly um, our Solicitor General and, and Minister of Public Safety, Mike Farnworth, it the showdown that is happening there and the amount of money that is being thrown around and or wasted on a monthly basis, it's $8 million a month that is being wasted with a duplicate of law enforcement in in surrey and it's just being used as a political football so yeah i'm very passionate about it because ultimately we are the bank account for all of this political back and forth and it's it's so ugly and watching how long it's drawn out and i'm looking at my friend whose husband is as linda points out doing everything he can to make surrey as safe as possible mandated as such by a unanimous voting council when it all began. And now it's just become this, you know, nightmare of of the mayor, the current mayor trying to Get rid of the whole idea. Her first thing out of her mouth when she was when Brenda Locke was um elected, elected into office was, I will fire Norm Lipinski. It was just like, what? Jeez. There are so many things going on here. It's just like, what is happening? And the and the provinces said, you know what? No, you're moving forward with this. You asked to do it. And and forevermore setting a standard that anywhere, like you said about all the jurisdictions in Alberta doing this shift from the RCMP to a municipal, a municipal force. There are other jurisdictions in BC talking about doing that as well. And, and David Eby, our premier has said, you know what, once you ask, we're going forward with it. There's no takesy backsies. Mm-hmm. I don't think he used that term, but you know <laughs> what I mean? Like, so I've been watching it just like, are you kidding me right now? And something's yes. got to give Get. The
1: Surrey Police Service had almost 500 employees by the time this newly elected mayor said, yeah, we're going to just fire everybody and get rid of them. There was like over $100 million already spent. These were people who in good faith signed up with the Surrey Police Service to serve and protect the citizens of yeah. Surrey. They wanted to be part of a groundbreaking, new, modern municipal police service. And they specifically called it a service versus a force or a department because it's in service to the community. And so the reality is that, yeah, you know, this mayor who now wants to kill the Surrey Police Service was one of the people who voted for it. And after they spent a ton of money and hired a bunch of people, said, no, I don't want that anymore. It was like, well, you can't do that either. So the province is saying, listen, you make a decision that better be carefully made because you're not turning around and and switching it
0: up. Okay, so I'm I'm looking at uh, <clears throat> uh, this. Uh, this is uh, I'll reference CTV News reporting on this. Uh, reads the headline: High High Risk, Low Reward. Critics slam Surrey mayor's policing PR campaign. Let me be very clear. Uh, Jody and Linda and I did not plan on talking about this. We're just no. <laughs> we're just we're just freewheeling right now. I uh, uh, yeah. but but I'll, uh, Abigail Turner is the reporter here. But but this is of interest, I'm sure, especially to our Alberta audience. Let me just read the lead on this story. Mayor Brenda Locke's latest tactic in her fight to keep the RCMP in Surrey is an advertising campaign costing taxpayers half a million dollars. Uh, But this is the point I make. Billboards have been spotted in the city and mailers have been sent to residents, including Councillor Linda Annis, who is not a member of the mayor's party. People in Alberta will go, ooh, we're talking a lot in Alberta about political parties at the municipal level. Uh, the provincial government is musing about it. Linda, you look like you're going to give oh, yourself a headache. You're saying, don't, "Do
1: do not go down that road." That's the don't. one thing I absolutely hate about municipal politics in BC: is the party system. They all run as a slate. They all vote as a block. They don't give a rat's you know what about the constituents. They want to push forward their agenda. When you have the word system and you as a resident in your neighborhood have a civic issue, you know who to talk to. And they sort of feel like they have to at least answer your email or your phone call because they need your vote and they represent you. In the party system, all bets are off. They don't care. You have nowhere to go. They're going to do what they want to do. The voters be damned.
0: So B.C. now entering its uh, I guess it's about one year through this drug decriminalization pilot. Is that <sighs> fair? Um, uh, doctors and advocates are saying there's more addiction treatment needed. I saw a report in the Tai that says that uh, basically police were caught on their heels. Nobody was really ready for this. Uh, how are the two of you viewing this? Maybe you can give us your real perspective on it one year in, Jody.
2: Well, one year in, I can say that I've never seen so many uh, people uh, um, living with addiction, homeless, uh, struggling, frozen in time in some situations, just on the side streets, uh, all over. It used to be just a one little area of Vancouver that that was sort of where the collective of People who choose to use drugs would would gather. Um, This is now an everywhere and everyone problem. Obviously, fentanyl, a huge reason why decrim became uh, an option put on the table, trying to just save some lives because fentanyl is so deeply embedded in the drug supply uh, here in B.C. in particular is what I can speak to. And But 13,000 people have died over six years uh, to this crisis. So certainly public health officials trying their best to, to save some lives here because oftentimes it's not on the downtown east side. It's in a bedroom community. It's people using uh, street drugs alone and then dying of a fentanyl overdose. The, the, the controversy now, Ryan, is how in British Columbia, we actually need legislation from our provincial government to stop illicit drug use in playgrounds, in schoolyards, at recreation centres, in parks, in places where children are. You, the, the legislation put forward was that you must be 15 metres, which is a hop, skip and jump, from a playground or a beach or a park or a rec centre. And some advocates for those who choose to use drugs um, have put forward that that's not fair, that it's not fair to limit where one might use illicit drugs. And that has uh, certainly been a topic on our show on an ongoing basis. And on last evening's show, we had Port Coquitlam Mayor Brad West, who is very outspoken against this, um, against this illicit drug use in public spaces. um, And the fact that, As a province, we now need to fight for the right to remove illicit drug users from school playgrounds. Like we've, it's just gotten so far down a rabbit hole now. I literally, I look around as a born and raised Vancouverite and I do not know how we got here.
0: Linda, where's your head at?
1: Well, for one thing, I have seen in the last decade misery. And especially since COVID really sort of pushed people out of the shadows, out of the downtown East side, into other neighborhoods where they could panhandle or buy drugs or break windows or whatever. So you started to see it as much more visible every single day. And I live downtown Vancouver. And so I walk a lot. I don't have a car every single day. I see someone either thrumped in a doorway. A lot of people are sort of, I don't know if you've seen this, but I think with fentanyl, when people do a hit or however they do it, inject it, smoke it, they hunch over in this weird statue like bent over thing. And you see people every week, I think, is that person dead? I'm not sure. And you're looking at them and you're thinking, okay, I think I saw their hand move. Like, what should I do? In many cases, when somebody has just gotten high, they don't want you to bug them. They certainly don't want to be naloxone and have you ruin the high. So you see misery everywhere. everywhere, young people, older people, every culture. And I think, okay, we've done so much around harm reduction as being one of the four pillars of trying to deal with addiction. We've done away with enforcement. We don't have really any treatment options or very, very few. And they're hard to get into. We don't really talk about prevention. We're all about harm reduction. So we have more harm reduction, more safe supply, less policing, and things are getting worse. And so the activists say, let's do more safe supply and even fewer restrictions. And I'm just stuck because I'm so sad for these people whose lives are being destroyed by the toxic drug supply. Mm. But I'm not at a place yet where I'm okay with saying the only answer is instead of trying to treat people and give them a chance at a healthier, happier life, is just to give them more fentanyl or meth or Coke or whatever it is that they're choosing to do. So I've just seen a horrific situation at literally by back door. Drug users played out in front of our garage door opener for our strata. I mean it's just so sad.
0: Yeah, it's uh I I mean obviously uh homelessness uh and uh I mean Gosh, there's so many contributing factors to this, but it's a reality in every Mental Canadian health. city. Mental health, obviously, is huge. Um, I don't know if you guys have, have been seeing what's going on uh, in Edmonton right now, but over the past couple of weeks, police have been uh, dismantling, uh, yeah. you know, I guess you call them tent cities or, you know, homeless encampments, whatever you want to call them. I mean, it's where people are living and where people are staying. Um, and it's it's been a contentious issue for sure. Um, I saw that uh, you know a police officer had said to an MLA to Janice Irwin, an opposition MLA yesterday. He said, "Hey, listen, uh, I-, I didn't ask, I didn't volunteer for this one. I didn't ask to do this. It's a tough job for the police. It's tough for people that are being displaced, but." May I also say, we got an email here from uh, Jesse who wrote in yesterday. He said, I may have missed it, but has Real Talk covered the dismantling of Edmonton's homeless camps yet? And the answer to Jesse is no, not yet. So here we go. Uh, he says the media coverage seems to only include... The perspective of the advocates for the homeless and i'd be interested to hear what the general population thinks about this he says ultimately these camps are illegal and detrimental to our downtown he said i've heard that shelters are able to accommodate the demand i don't know about that he says but the conditions are so bad there that people are choosing camps instead and i think there is an element of truth to that he says i'd like to get some insight as to what the shelter conditions really are and determine the changes uh, we can make there so that there's no excuse for these illegal campsites that from Jesse it, it's a situation where like it's brutal obviously and and in the tent cities I, I'm, we're having a difficult time getting law enforcement on the record on this but there's talk of cartels in there sexual assaults someone being burned alive uh basically like a, an absolute free-for-all within the encampments um and, and also can we just say like I know this may sound heartless and this show does talks a lot about homelessness and houselessness and mental health. And, and I feel it deeply and I know you two do as well. And, and we're empathetic people and we care, but also you can't just like set up encampments wherever. And it, like, I'm sorry if that sounds heartless, but like that is also a fact. And so I think that people are trying to wrap their minds around this and process the story. And it's a tough one because you don't want to come across same thing with harm reduction, Linda, you don't want to sound like a prick, Or like your heart is made of coal. Uh, But at the same time, we have to acknowledge that things are out of control right now.
1: We've had homeless encampments here, big ones, entrenched ones, with all the same kind of crime issues that you spoke about. Embedded in neighborhoods where people are having homes broken into, having their lives threatened. And so, yeah, there are. And then the other problem is there's a lot of predators that get attracted to those encampments. They prey on the people who are already incredibly vulnerable. So I don't know what to do. It's become so. Catastrophic, the need, the crisis is so huge that in Vancouver, the activists say, no, it can't be a shelter space. You have to give them a, you know, a. 700, you know, square foot apartment in downtown Vancouver. And it was like, yep, that's like $1.2 million. What, that doesn't make sense. We don't have the money to do that. And yet you can't ship them to a cheaper, smaller municipality outside of Vancouver. Everybody would have a heart attack. So I don't know what the answer is. I mean, here in some of the encampments, the activists are demanding running water and showers and heat and propane, But part of the problem is a lot of the people living in these tents, even on city streets, we had a big tent encampment down on uh, West Hastings or East Hastings in the downtown East side. People would have sometimes eight propane bottles inside the tent. And it was like, uh, there have been catastrophic explosions and fires. And then the fire department can't get through the tents to get into buildings to make sure that they don't catch on fire. It's just such a big problem. And The downtown east side has been like a big red light flashing beacon for how long, decades, about we need to deal with this problem of homelessness, untreated mental health and addiction, and yet we don't seem to be able to figure out the answer.
0: Jody, you say like you're born and raised in Vancouver. I know you haven't lived there for your entire career, but you've been you've, you've seen it a lot through the years. does it does it seem to be particularly like worse now or is it just more posts on Instagram people see it more or no
2: no, it's worse. um and but it's a problem also I, I would point out it's not just here. I mean, you drive down the i five to Seattle and it looks quite similar. You know, you look at what's happened in San Francisco and it looks quite similar. You look in, you hear the stories out of Toronto where I live for a decade and there are very similar issues uh, there. Having no place to go it, for so many people is is a huge basis to this, but there's also the poverty piece and there is the mental health piece as, as Linda pointed out uh, earlier and off the top of this subject. Um, you know, it's a perfect storm right now the sros the short uh term uh rental options the 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 slums single really yeah occupancy single occupancy housing, yeah. yeah single occupancy sorry short term rental I went, I went airbnb it is that early in the morning <laughs> here um but the single occupancy rooms um with the buildings that have been held by you know one particular family i mean they were terrible no running water um you know sinks full of needles uh leaky moldy rat infested bug infested and that's where people were expected to go so when you looked inside those that have now been shuttered um you know people would have moved out to the street but now um the entire of east the entirety of east hastings is just it's a it's a street level community as linda pointed out with the with the propane tanks when the new new ish mayor the most recently elected mayor ken sim in vancouver uh made the decision to clear the tents along East Hastings the number of propane tanks that were found he had a pre- held a press conference and he said as difficult as it is to have done this to have, have uprooted these people that called this area their home they found enough propane that could have blown up an entire city block and and that was a real jolt for uh people across the city for sure. Um, in looking at, you know, there has to be a better way and what that solution is. Mm -hmm. I would offer that nobody really knows. Cause if there was, I brought up Seattle, I brought up San Francisco, other jurisdictions. If, if something was working somewhere, we would probably put it here because it's, it's that bad, but to focus only on Vancouver is also flawed because this is happening throughout, uh, communities across British Columbia. There are, Significant drug problems, significant homeless problems. Fentanyl is an issue not just for the the impoverished on the downtown east side. The a lot, the majority of the deaths to fentanyl, in fact, are middle aged men in their
1: homes, mm-hmm. in their apartments, in in communities. And the biggest BC. percentage is construction workers is what they found out in BC. But I was going to say that the BC government did has tried. They have spent millions and millions of tax dollars to buy old hotels and uh old walk ups and what have you to completely move people from tent encampments into these hotels. So the most recent one that happened in my area was there was a place called Oppenheimer Park in the downtown east side that was just massive, a big tent city kind of thing. They bought two old hotels on Granville Street in the entertainment district a couple of blocks up from where I live, and they moved, mass moved all these people into those two hotels. But there were no real wraparound services. So you're moving people who have addictions issues, mental health issues, uh, some, you know, behavioral problems. And there were all kinds of issues. There were something like a thousand police calls to one of those hotels in the first year because of, you know, b and ease and chaos out in the streets and what have you. And so when Jody talked about the SROs being horrific and the people don't want to stay there, part of the problem with that is that people who are living in them need help. They need wraparound services. They are dealing with their own issues, mental health problems that are untreated. And that's partially why those places are so broken down and full of needles and things are not working and toilets are plugged is because they there needs to be People who are working with them, who have the skill set to help these people manage their lives in the healthiest way. And that's not happening either. You're just warehousing a bunch of people with problems in a crappy old hotel on Granville street. Huh. In a we,
2: province where you can't even get a GP.
0: Uh, yeah. <laughs> that seems, uh, it seems to be, I mean, we're talking about things that are kind of theme. I mean, I, I, I understand that issues around affordability um, are, are, Almost in Vancouver and Toronto on another level, but but it's relevant everywhere. Um, Addiction is an issue everywhere. I mean, a lot of these are issues everywhere. As a matter of fact, even I mean, Jody, I know you felt like you kind of like slipped up or whatever referenced Airbnb. But but James in our live chat says, no, actually, he says short term rentals are a contributing factor to the overall rental and house pricing issue. He says, let's not overlook that. He's right. I mean, there's like a million Mm -hmm. factors at play. What works in Vancouver might not be the appropriate solution in Hamilton, but, but maybe there might be best practice there. But I, I think the average person, I see someone here on the live chat, watch watch my stuff, says, oh, yeah, all the propane tanks and campsites is really terrifying. Rolls eyes. Says like, you know, but, but at the same time, you can't tell me that you look at what's happening right now and you go, this is good. This is fine. This is sustainable. Like, come on.
2: There were 120 industrial sized propane tanks in one city block. And we had already had, I don't know, Linda, was it like seven fires in that last, I think it was and seven. People who have that died. One. Oh, gosh. I mean, it, there's one thing to be said. I get the eye roll on the propane tank. I get it. And and James, thank you for, for the Airbnb note. I appreciate that. I feel less foolish now. Um, but I don't think anybody has the answer. I don't think there is a silver bullet here. It is um, it is very complex and complicated, and and how do you help the people who are literally the most vulnerable? And it shouldn't be um, it shouldn't be glossed over that, for the downtown east side at least, a large percentage of those living in poverty on the downtown east side are uprooted people who are living with significant generational trauma, First Nations and Indigenous peoples who have found life to be very difficult just at the get-go. I mean, it, it's, it's, it's a very complex equation, um, but it's one that the definition of insanity is playing into because we continue to do the same thing over and over and over and over again and expect a different outcome, and that's just not happening.
0: We're talking to uh, Jody Vance, Linda Steele, uh, the co-host of Steele and Vance on Check. In just a second, I want to ask you about this Health Canada recommendation around a cigarette ban. It's very interesting. It would draw a line over uh, who could uh, purchase smokes in Canada, and who couldn't? Uh, That, in just a quick second, this episode is happening with the support of Real Talk partners like our friends at Eden Landscaping, who want to remind you it's a perfect time of year to start thinking about summer, right? Why not? Especially on a day like, you know, maybe you're getting hammered with a snowstorm or the temperature's starting to fall. Why not envision those summer nights, those long summer nights around the campfire or maybe around your new outdoor kitchen. You can hear the trickle of your Koi Pond, that new water feature that you had installed. Does the kids pitter-patter across the new brick hardscape? Just how you envisioned it. Eden Landscaping's been doing it all for more than 20 years, and they're a full service landscape company, which means there's no subcontracting. You don't have to worry about anything from the design process all the way through to completion. They do it all at Eden Landscaping. You'll find them online at landscapeedmonton.ca. If your home improvement is going to happen on the inside then californiaclosets.ca needs to be your first stop. The consultation is always free when you're working with California Closets. And let me tell you, based on firsthand experience, their design team will be able to envision installations that you haven't even thought of. Murphy beds that integrate perfectly into a guest room or a home office. A laundry room that finally has the organization that you've always dreamed of. How about the printer hidden away into a cabinet so it's not always on display? These are the tiny details that set California closets apart. Nobody does it better than them. Free consultation today at californiaclosets.ca. And our friends at Friesen Brothers want to remind you that as Canadian families continue to try to stretch their dollars, there's a tool available to you online or in one of their 16 locations across the province of Alberta. It's their Family Essentials Flyer. You can see it online at Friesen.com. That's F-R-E-S-O-N.com. Not only do they have a great weekly summary of all the savings that you'll find in store, but they've also got recipes for that sort of down-home, real comfort cooking that everybody loves. Easy family meal recipes designed to be affordable from your friends at Friesen Brothers, Alberta Grown and Alberta Owned. Hanging out with Linda Steele and Jody Vance. Johnny, uh, infamous, by the way, John Hicks, the producer of this show, uh, I've not yet talked to you about this, asked you about this. Why don't you tee this up for us, and, and then we'll get to our guests today. Health Canada has recommended yeah. uh, that that essentially the federal government says that anybody, uh, 2008 would be the cutoff. And anybody born yeah. after 2008 would not be allowed ever to buy cigarettes. It doesn't mean you got to turn 18 and then you can buy them. It means you can Never buy them, regardless of how old you may become. What do you think about this?
3: I, I think uh, some of the youth today would agree with that. I think, uh, I mean, we know there's way less smokers. And uh, I don't know. This is some, I, I'm not sure if New Zealand has totally done it yet, but I know New Zealand as well uh, has banned cigarette sales. I think it's fully in place now uh, to youth under, uh born after I think it's 2007 so uh. so I think it's a great idea I <laughs> me I I mean if we want to get real I mean I used to be a smoker and then and then a vapor and then now I'm trailed off right but like I wish to god that I had never taken a drag
0: off a cigarette. When was I? That, do wish, you remember your first cigarette?
3: Of course I do. It was when horrible. Was, can you tell us you the it, story? Uh, it was, you know, smoking section of high school, maybe grade nine or ten. Were you trying and, to
0: impress a girl? Yeah.
3: <laughs> but I came from a small town in Ontario, so so holding out to grade nine or ten, you know. I was one of the people there there's lots of smokers, and they were all young. This is back in the day, right? So, but I, I think it's a great idea. And I think a lot of youth nowadays Nowadays, I mean, I was talking to someone uh, the other day who was like 18, and they're like, won't it be crazy like 50 years from now? And I think you mentioned this on the show, too, when we'll talk about... Remember when they used to like light those things up and it literally inhales smoke into their <laughs> lungs and nobody thought it was bad for you like back in the 50s. But and we, we also celebrate, used to we celebrate
0: it, and believe in freedom of choice and personal freedom. And I think and
3: tobacco use, especially in the States, it's always going to be a part of like culture, right? Like sure. people have been smoking. Forever,
0: but we know that the cost of the healthcare system is in the billions horrible. of dollars. Let's let's find out what our guests think about this. Linda Steele, Jody Vance, as far as I know, um, are, are either of you current smokers? No, no B- big head used to, no. yeah,
1: yeah, a long time ago. And I mean, you're right. I think they should ban smoking because it's so freaking addictive that anybody who ever smoked knows how hard it is to stop. And that for years after you quit, you're having a glass of wine and all of a sudden you think, I remember my mom was a heavy smoker. I used to have to go buy her uh, number seven cigarettes and whatever as a kid. And she said something like 10 years after she quit, she was at a party with friends and they were laughing and she reached down to the ashtray just out of habit to take a cigarette. And thought, no. So it's always stuck. That addiction is just burbling away, waiting to sort of leap back out. So can we connect this back to the opioid crisis? Why then, if we're thinking, let's stop people from getting addicted to smoking in the first place, our answer to people who are addicted to hard drugs, toxic drugs, is to give them more drugs, to make the drugs more accessible, to help them use the drugs. Wow! So that part of it i don't get
0: but if we're going to be fair on that you'd probably have to to compare apples to apples you'd probably have to note that people were buying illicit cigarettes that they didn't know what was in them and people were dropping dead from you know spontaneous overdose by smoking illicit cigarettes because that's more a conversation about safe supply isn't it
1: no but i'm talking about addiction though and sort of take even if it was safe supply fentanyl do you want somebody just as a matter of course to spend the rest of their life Smoking meth that's not going to kill them or being a fentanyl addict? I mean, shouldn't we be trying to encourage people to break the addiction and lead a healthier lifestyle? So I get it, yeah, but with safe supply, and I'm sorry I hijacked the conversation from smoking, I would be okay with safe supply for a limited time. Okay, you're going to do this for a year and we're going to work with you to sort of get you off of it and into a job and into a healthier lifestyle and mental health supports or whatever, versus, oh, we're not even going to try.
3: Just here's a bunch of drugs. Mm. Cactus Sheriff, thank you, in the chat. He says New Zealand actually scrapped their ban. So well, they it just announced, through, check
0: yeah. this out. So this is The Guardian reporting this. So this was just announced at the end of November. New Zealand's going to scrap its world's first Smoking generation ban to fund tax cuts. It's not funny. I know I'm laughing, but it's just basically they need the tax from the cigarettes, and so they're bringing them back for young people. Which
1: Jody is All like, about the money. "We're back!
0: It's, it's, we're back, baby!" Uh, but I mean, there's there's truth in the live chat too. Like people are people are saying like cigarettes would have never been legal in the first place had we known at the time. That, you know the negative health impacts. Uh, Justin's very right in pointing out that there's indigenous significance, sort of like a, a spiritual. I was going to mention that as a connection well. yeah. to tobacco, tobacco.
3: smoke. Smoking has been around, you know.
0: For sure. And, and there's a lot of things like I'm not trying to, like, don't smoke, kids, obviously. Uh, I'm not trying to justify smoking or encourage smoking by any means. But, like, we also do millions of things that are bad for us. This is a, a little bit of a bad faith argument, a little bit. But, like, are we going to ban, like, Coke Classic? Are we going to ban butter? We better fucking not ban butter. But, like, you know, you know what I mean? Like, we... <laughs>
2: Hush your mouth about butter, Ryan. Well, exactly. Hush your mouth. No,
0: exactly. Married as into a Ukrainian the, as the family. Nobody. Chef. Yes. Nobody, no. No. I, I I fully embrace butter. But my point being, we know things are bad for us, and uh, and and you know we have all kinds of conversations about you know people accessing the health care system. We look at wait lists for surgeries. We look at we learned a lot about um, obviously through COVID. If people weren't vaccinated, we know that they were. Ineligible for organ donation, right? And that and that started a big. The the policy had been in place forever, um, and it and it pertained to a lot of different vaccines, but it included the COVID vaccine. And once we got there, people started talking about access to healthcare. So we've had people muse about, you know, if you're a smoker, should you have full access to the healthcare system? Every reasonable, most reasonable people would say, well, of course you should. But then those same reasonable people must also acknowledge that smokers and other people are causing disproportionate strain on the budgets and the resources of the healthcare system, right? Like these are all facts.
1: Mm-hmm. I, no, no. I don't know. I still think cigarettes, there's nothing good about it. And you're seeing these resurgences. What is old is new again, starting to see kids smoking again. You're starting to see smoking in movies and Netflix again. Like why and smoking is not cool smoking is gross it stinks it's bad for your health it causes cancer i mean really you can say yeah knock yourself out and go and smoke but if it's not available kids are not gonna buy cigarettes i mean oh, they say vaping safer alternative but vaping has also got health problems associated with yeah,
3: it i think yeah. I think vaping's worse because you got the candy flavors the fruit flavors and kids automatically think it's an alternative to smoking uh you know cuz we're, we're really we're really people talking about yeah, we're talking about healthier. nicotine delivery systems right and 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 kids think mm. hey because it's not tobacco it's better for me it's not you're inhaling chemicals into your lungs and it's it's probably we're going to see in the next 10 to 20 years that it's probably just as bad as inhaling
0: yeah uh, david penner makes a very good point as well says hey arguing with people in internet live stream chats is bad for us but we still do it i love that david ah, Little, it doesn't cause Cancer, <laughs> it doesn't cause cancer as far as we know um yeah and, yeah and and other people are making the good point as well that if you outlaw cigarettes or make them out of people are still going to get them people are still going to find them it's just going to fuel the black market you're going to have cartons yeah. of cigarettes falling off the backs of trucks like people are still going to get their smokes i don't know it's- so i have uh the
2: perspective of being the mother of somebody born in 2007 Ah. Um, and watching the friend group and who's vaping and who's smoking and who's anti both of those things. Um, And I, I agree with what you just said in terms of if you outlaw it, that won't really change much other than the fact that it'll be um, more expensive and perhaps more dangerous for people to get their hands on it, To, to think that it'll just all of a sudden make it so that kids won't start is I think naive to believe. Um, I absolutely have so many conversations with my son about not becoming addicted to nicotine and and, and also being careful, you know, we, the, you know, the connection that Linda was making to, to drugs, it, it, it's back when we were experimenting with both cigarettes and with you know pod and and perhaps some harder drugs for some teenagers, it wasn't like playing Russian roulette the way it is now. And and to Johnny's point about uh, the vaping, I mean, you can be just a couple of days into vaping and be profoundly addictive, addicted to it because the nicotine levels are so high in the candy floss mm-hmm. flavored. Um, I think it's more you know, addictive. And
3: it's, mm. I think it's more it, addictive because you can... That's what I'm saying. You can literally... It's way more yeah.
2: nicotine. Way more nicotine is put into those vapes, and they sell like crazy. Weird.
0: Well, and you don't smell disgusting after you vape. Your breath isn't brutal. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. I, I, yeah. I've seen people in the chat mm-hmm. sort of reminiscing. I think back to my bartending days. It's it's wild. I mean, I, I, I never feel as old... As I feel when I start looking back on my, like, early 20s and, you know, when I was, like, bartending at Earl's and you, you just, people just, I mean, part of our job was, like, emptying out people's ashtrays. ashtrays. And, like and, oh, you know, yeah, the, me too. You, you would just be surrounded totally. by it. The, the comical the reality of the smoking section and the non-smoking section separated by, like, House plant, like we're on a
2: flight. flight. Are you you sitting in smoking on this flight? Remember in
3: restaurants uh, when there used to be the smoking section? It's like just behind your booth, just just behind. behind Oh, no, he's in the smoke. It's
0: okay that he's smoking. Um, and Justin here is when When I first worked
3: at ITV, we
1: used to smoke at our desk. You'd sit there with your typewriter type in your script and smoke. News anchors used to smoke on the air, you know, the old one of the most famous. I
0: mean, Edward R. Murrow used to smoke during the broadcast all the time. Time. And and like to be honest, it looks super cool. My but gr- my just- grandmother
3: used to drive a school bus way back in the day, and oh, she used gee. to smoke while driving kids to school. Like <laughs>
0: wow,
2: have you guys seen the movie Maestro? I had to pause it in the middle because every single solitary scene, there's a yeah, every scene. Why there's did you have so to? Po- why did smoking. you have to pause it? I just to be honest, I didn't. I didn't love the movie.
0: Oh, I thought you were saying it was like, I thought no, it was I like triggering just like, or, Okay, enough
2: with the smokes. And I can't really understand what anybody's saying because they're I all talking it. through their cigarettes. Okay. It, it, it was, it was in the way, it, but it was of a day, right? I of think a day. It was a major prop. <clears throat> of the day.
0: Back in the yeah. day. I mean, it was like a normal, totally normal thing. I wanted to get to Justin's comment here. He's uh, talking about banning cigarettes. He says it's, you know, we're talking personal choice. He goes, but interesting, this show. Uh, today is not bringing up alcohol he says that causes a ton of harm but don't you dare talk about taking away people's beer and wine uh, i actually did just a tiny bit of digging we knew we were going to talk about this today and and back in so this is a study from 2018 or a recommendation so it's 5 years old but still um uh, the world cancer research fund people can google it the wcrf guidelines uh pointed out based on studies that were compiled using research involving more than 51 million people okay So pretty good sample size globally. um, In 2018, the World Cancer Research Fund recommending that cutting bacon and alcohol out of your diet can reduce your risk of cancer by 40%. Cutting bacon and alcohol reduces your risk by 40%. How many people would still blaze forward with their bacon and their booze knowing that they were at higher risk of cancer? I would say most.
1: Everyone. Yeah, probably. Yeah. Come on. It's Linda bacon. loves
2: bacon. I'm just going to tell you right now. Linda loves bacon.
0: So we'll,
1: and I never have
2: it,
0: you know, we'll <laughs> we'll put on motorcycle helmets and we'll wear seatbelts for the most part. Uh, the majority of us will try to take like sort of proactive decisions on our health, but there are some things that for us as humans are just non-starters. If it's something you enjoy, yeah, people will know that you know smoking cigarettes is one thing but you talk to real cigar aficionados uh people that have a well-stocked humidor they don't they don't consider it to be the same as cigarette smoking there's no way to just there's no way to it's not healthy nobody thinks I love it's it when cigar healthy.
2: smokers Ryan say oh but we don't inhale
0: yeah mm. I mean it's true but mm. it's maybe not is the, it though yeah I mean in a way I mean this is this is something that I I mean I like the odd cigar I'll be honest but uh sure. I mean really if we're talking about about health, uh, if you're making a decision purely and solely based on health, then you're not smoking anything like you're not bringing smoke in your mouth and your lungs. That just seems to be obvious. But But in
3: a cigar room, you're definitely
0: Inhaling it, for if it's sure. all around you. You're around it's, it. You're yeah, breathing it. You know, yeah. it's yeah. It's like the the kids on the school bus. Your grandma was driving. it's, no, <laughs> it's taking smoking. a swipe at your grandma. <laughs> hey, before we run out of time, um, and, and this has been so much fun. I can't believe that the hour has just flown by. I have to ask you two about one of the more prominent British Columbians. He, he seems to raise the ire of the, of the general populace about once every five to ten years, whether he's building his massive shoreline estate or suggesting that. Bigger people uh, weren't ever the target market for the company that made him a billionaire. Chip Wilson is back in the spotlight. Uh, the company, uh, his you know, formerly, obviously, Lululemon, uh, he, he's relinquished his board seat, but he's still a major shareholder, distancing itself from his comments on the, quote, whole diversity and inclusion thing. I have to imagine the two of you are paying attention to this story. Chip
2: should just stop talking. <laughs> stop talking, Chip. It's just yeah, every everything that comes out of this man's mouth sounds ridiculously insulting to to people and in particular women. It is it's remarkable to me that he is is so twisted in how he looks at the brand that he built that has become so incredibly popular. And now he's upset because it's inclusive. Sit down, rich man. Sit down.
0: He says, uh, he he says, Lululemon is trying to become, this is an article in Forbes, by the way, a feature in Forbes magazine. He says, they're trying to become like the gap. They're trying to be everything to everybody. The definition of a brand is that you're not everything to everybody. You got to be clear that you don't want certain customers coming in. He says that he says that the athletic wears new ads are unhealthy, sickly, Mm -hmm. and that the people featured in the ads are not inspirational. Linda.
1: Well, for one thing, he's a billionaire. And I think that, you know, when you get up into those lofty levels, you stop associating and and sort of relating to the common man. So I think on just the tiniest level, I can understand what he's saying, but he is expressing it in an offensive way and not in a very smart way, because as a business person, you would think you want to include everyone. You would like everyone to buy your products. But what I guess he's saying and and not doing it very well is that if someone's complaining that you can see through the yoga pants, maybe it's because you're significantly overweight and the material stretched. I mean, it's still an offensive thing to say. I I have to be careful because Mr. Uh, Chip Wilson's son lives right above me in my condo. So I got to make sure that I don't say anything that. I'm wearing
2: Lululemon. I think, that I, L- great, right I think I am too. I'm right now. I got you a couple should, uh... of great friends who work there and they are forward thinking and inclusive and smart. And it's a successful brand and it's successful because Chip Wilson exited in 2015. Yes, he's a major shareholder, but for whatever reason, I don't think he likes the fact that it is as successful as it is without him at the helm. Uh, uh, Lululemon is ever a larger brand than it, than it was before. And he's certainly reaping the benefits of of the profits, I think rich men should.
0: Linda, what do we have to pay you to pick up your laptop, head upstairs, knock on the door of Wilson jr. And ask (laughs) him about this. That would be real talk.
1: (laughs) Yeah. That's never going to (laughs) happen. Yeah. No. (laughs) Make sure you follow. By the way, Chip Wilson has the most expensive, home we just discovered through the BC assessments. I think his home in Vancouver is worth 80 million or something. So yeah, Imagine what the property taxes are
0: on that. Uh, the Daily Hive reporting that Chip Wilson's Point Grey property in Vancouver is now valued at eighty-one million dollars. Um, it would be, it would be like nine million in Edmonton, but still, um, I saw that Michael Buble <laughs> uh, has the priciest home in yeah. Burnaby. I think it was. It's bubbly. One uh, of his five homes, Michael Buble. Yeah, Buble, Buble, <laughs> a little bit more likable <laughs> than Chip Wilson. But uh, but this oh, is just even, a little. Yeah, oh <laughs> but goodness. that point gray property is that 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 Wilson one. That's not even the same one as the. I, I'm I'm a little bit out of my depth. I don't know all the details. But didn't he he was he was constructing this this massive property on a shorefront hey, somewhere. Like, that's, right? the Three launch, oh, that right? that's the, the one. Oh, that is the one. That's the one. And,
2: down. Yeah, I was just walking my dogs down there yesterday. Um, it's the one where he quite famously uh, for his wife's fortieth birthday a number of years ago, uh, hosted the Red Hot Chili Peppers concert at his home. He bought up two properties uh, in Point Grey right on the water facing into English Bay and uh, and created this sort of fortress of a home down there. So that's the $80 million assessed value home there on Point go. Grey Road. You can look it up. There it is. There, there it is.
0: you go. We got an aerial shot for those watching on so YouTube. So I walked
2: on the beach just in front of that yesterday.
0: <laughs> You're allowed? Can you walk right past the house?
2: Oh, yeah. Yeah, but it's a it's raised, so yeah. um, beach level is is yeah. lower down. But, but it's there, a, you, it's didn't, you didn't you didn't have like people
0: with earpieces and and aviator sunglasses no. coming down. Nobody and cares what that you were much.
2: Nobody cares that much about Chip Wilson here. Yeah, no.
0: fair enough. No, he's um,
2: riding his bike all over town.
0: Yeah. Oh, is that right? He still is he still in the public eye? Like you'd see him around town. Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. Hmm. Yeah yeah. Uh, I, I
2: don't I don't have a personal problem with him other than when he starts telling uh, what type of body you. Should have to chop at Lululemon.
0: Yeah, That's I, I have a uh, problem with Jim Wilson. Otherwise, I don't really care. My brain, my brain right now is saying, uh, "Wrap the show." Uh, that was a great quote. that Jody just gave us wrap the show. But then my gut is saying, "No, nah, I kind of want to <laughs> dig into this for a second. I don't know why. Maybe I'm a glutton for punishment. But but while I find his comments to be distasteful and rude, um, I'm not a hundred percent sure that he's wrong. About businesses identifying who their target demographic mm-hmm. is and not worrying as much about people that aren't the target demographic, and he said it in a way that's right. that that, that it like offends people and that comes across as fat phobic. And I think that he uses some words that were not very generous, but at the core of his comment, he's not really wrong. You know, like as a business, no, see
1: that's what I agree with you on that point. I can understand it. I get where he's going. I just think he wasn't thinking it through or he didn't care. And he kind of expressed it in an offensive way. He could have said, hey, listen, you know what? We are all about the athleisure market, fit people who make exercise a regular part of their life. And, uh, you know, our target audience is the demo of this and that. It's just that you would think a business person would want all customers not try to push anybody away, but maybe he was trying to make Lululemon more exclusive and only for super gorgeous fit people. I don't
0: know. Yeah. And, and different. I know lots of people with diverse
2: body types who are super fit and active and need athletic gear, Uh, you know, and what, and also what's the the suggestion that like on your,
0: on your fitness journey that you have to be like, you have to have arrived before you can start wearing like it doesn't make sense actually. Uh mm. but I guess I'm just saying generally speaking the point. It's like, you know, we've got into the same conversation before um with, you know, certain restaurants that have said that their female lounge servers have to wear heels and that it became this big thing and there was big protests and people said, well, no, you can't force people to wear heels and and at the end of the day, again, while it comes across as a bit clumsy and it's a bit of a PR issue and it has been in past for restaurants like Earls and Cactus Club and others. Um yeah. and, It's a private business, and if you want to be a lounge server there, and you don't want to wear heels, well, it's maybe not a fit for you, and there's lots of lounges where you don't have to wear heels. I know that everyone's going to say, well, that's a really privileged point of view, whatever, but the fact of the matter is, it's a private business. They can set their own
2: terms. As long as the rule for wearing heels applies to the guys as well, I'm cool with that.
0: Yeah, that's right. And is it okay if they, yeah, there you go. Maybe they don't hire, if they don't hire men in their lounge, and then people will say, well, what about that? But again, it's a private business, right?
2: But that's a uniform choice. So if you don't want to work there, believe me, I, I waitressed at 86th Street Music Hall and there was a wear heels thing. My heels were kitten heels this big and the other wait- waitresses were wearing four inch spikes and I made more money than them because I could deliver quicker.
0: Yeah. And I've heard p- people have pointed out that like it it's like physically very demanding to wear heels through a shift. I've only ever it participated is. in the walk a mile fundraiser. So I've only worn heels for 30 minutes at a time. S- uh, S- so painful. It's the worst. It's the <laughs> worst. You should have seen though. I had these like sequin size 13. He. Oh my god. I want to see that. Just, you yeah. got to send us a picture yeah, I, of that. I borrowed them from a drag queen friend of mine, all for a good cause for the YWCA of Edmonton. Um, Hey, love you too. Like, honestly, I don't just throw away that word. I have so much respect and admiration for the both of you. I gotcha. we, we just love. love and I mean, when I say back by popular demand, I'm not joking. You should see when you two appear on this, our live chat goes, Oh my God, they're here. Um, <laughs> (laughs) Linda Steele and Jody Vance. You can catch them on Steele and Vance. Uh, Of course, check out checknews.ca. We'll have the link uh, in the show notes. You can follow them on Twitter. And then, of course, you can also download and subscribe to their podcast. Make sure you show them some love there. Thursdays at 8, live Pacific Time on Check. Happy New Year to you both, and thanks for doing this.
1: Happy New right. Year to you! Thanks for
0: having us. You got it. If what we have been talking about has lit a fire under you, and I know we've covered a lot of ground—gosh, like municipal uh, political parties, and homeless encampments, and harm reduction, and affordability, and cigarettes, and uh, g- corporate mandates, and demographic comments—and man, our inbox is always open to talk at RyanJespersen.com. In just a second, we're going to get into it with a weekly tradition where we're going to blow off a little steam. The flame. Thrower presented by the DQs of Northwest Edmonton and Sherwood Park. But first, we want to recognize the support of partners of ours, like our friends at Kubi Renewable Energy. They're Western Canada's busiest solar installer. You can find them on Instagram at Kubi Energy. I recommend that you follow them because you're going to learn something. I guarantee when they talk about maybe the reliability of solar these days or the affordability, how the cost is coming down, you can learn something with every post on the Kubi Energy Instagram account and don't forget at kubienergy.ca you can get a free solar quote they'll get their team up there to install it first thing in the spring but they got to do a bit of engineering planning ahead of time so give yourself some runway there plus they're always hiring for jobs in Kamloops Calgary Edmonton and Lethbridge check out the career links at kubienergy.ca if you're going yeah a new career sounds great but I've got some schooling to do first take a second today and check out athabaskau.ca Athabasca University is Canada's open university with world-class accredited online degrees and courses designed so you can complete your education wherever and whenever it works for you. If you've been doing some schooling at other institutions, they're going to offer you transfer credits. If you're looking for a, a special financial assistance, they've got a ton of different resources available for you. Your journey starts today at Athabasca U. And a shout out to our friends at Complete Care Restoration. Johnny, check this out. They got a slick I new website. Hey, yeah. eh? isn't that cool? At CompleteCareRestoration.ca. Professional property restoration services in based out of Edmonton, but doing work across the province of Alberta, ready to respond 24-7. If, heaven forbid, you experience a nightmare uh, like fire or flood, maybe you've discovered mold or asbestos on your property, you're going to want to leave it, obviously, to train professionals. Nobody does a better job than the team at Complete Care Restoration. Jillian here says, Jess, well, the issue was that uh, private businesses had changed uniforms after somebody was already employed. I- I'll be honest. I don't know, like, all the details of it. I just remember this was a few years ago. It flared up, and it, and it was a real PR problem for some of these restaurants that had had their female lounge servers in heels uh, for a long time. And, and th- there was, like, big public outcry around it. It's mm-hmm. one of those things, I think, that, like, flies under the surface. There's millions of these issues in life. Flies under the surface it's not really getting a lot of attention until it does mm-hmm. and then when it does companies are in a position where they've got a real problem on their hands yeah, yeah. Let,
3: let them wear the comfortable shoes what's yeah. the problem here
0: well I but I, I don't know if, if you're running a business <laughs> where you don't you want top shelf appearance sure right you want to give off a vibe I mean it doesn't make physically does it make sense to have lounge servers in heels absolutely not of course not Mm -mm. Uh, but also like aesthetically do you want your lounge servers in comfortable shoes Uh, I mean when you put it that way it seems to make sense (laughs) but for some people they'll say it's a private business we can do whatever we want and they're not wrong about that yeah, I, I'm sure that we're, I would love to get an email from somebody that this has personally impacted or personally affected. Uh, did you ever do the walk a mile fundraiser? Did you ever wear the heels around, walk around for I remember an doing heels? it, yeah, when I was oh, with uh,
3: The Bounce way back in the day. Yeah, I remember so doing it. so much respect. It's, whew. I Wild. Don't know, uh, women, Wild. I don't know how you do it. You curious? You and think, men who wear them. I don't know how you do will it. Will
0: heels still be a thing in 100 years? Sure. Yeah, yeah of think? course. Yeah. I wonder. Uh, the, the lady's got to let us know on that because yeah, I don't know if that'll still be a thing in a hundred years or not. Fashion evolves in some ways and in some other ways. If it works, people stick with it, right? Every Friday, courtesy of our friends at the. Dairy Queens of Northwest Edmonton and Sherwood Park. I'm talking Palisades, Nemeo, Newcastle, Westmount, Baseline Road. We give you a chance to blow off a little steam to bring the heat. This is a chance to say what needs to be said, and we're asking you to bring us your hot takes, and you do through the week. These are the emails that we've received to talk at ryanjesperson.com, like this one from Gerald. This arrived just yesterday after I talked to Andrew McDougall, uh, former Director of Communications for Prime Minister Stephen Harper. Great interview if you missed it. Check it out. Uh, That was our... uh, what's the date today today is january 5th right so it's our january 4th episode with mcdougall gerald says uh, listening to your pod oh pardon me he's talking about sean canungo says i'm a little bit perturbed he says i hear this all the time but it's always spoken about in these vague musings people afraid to speak their mind nobody wants to say what they really mean they're worried about the blowback he says on what he says ryan you brought up one topic trans athletes in sport okay he goes that's one he gives he goes give me five other topics that people tread lightly on honestly uh Israel, Gaza? Abortion? I mean, he says, oh, you know, we got think pieces on Gaza. We've had marches for parental rights. So what are people really afraid to talk about? Now, there is an issue of nuance. Is there an issue, or are people giving grace to learn on certain topics? I don't see people giving grace for people to learn on topics anywhere, Gerald, to be honest with you. He says, but if no one will be specific, no one will take on the nuance, maybe we should all stop belly aching. He says, I would like to hear you give us a list of five things people fear talking about. And then do shows on them. Yeah, yeah, uh huh. He says the problem is, and I don't think for a second that this is the case with Sean, but when people are super vague and say, you just can't speak your mind like you used to, it kind of sounds like I'm not allowed to say offensive things anymore. I miss being able to be a jerk and treat people poorly. So let's not be vague. That's from Gerald. Gerald, the beautiful irony of your email is that somebody talking about feeling like they can't talk about things is being ripped by you. Isn't that inherently a car? Anyway, I digress. Thank you for your email. This from Steven, who says, Hey, your listener, Garth yeah basically they said this week that until a town of 5,000 people can completely run on renewables we need to forget even talking about the idea talk about greening the grid he says maybe let listener garth know that las vegas its city facilities are now operating on 100 renewable energy i was like what and so stephen goes on to say they launched a 100 megawatt solar farm he says people can google Boulder Solar One, the city was able to purchase enough green energy to power all of its 140 buildings, streetlights, parks, and other facilities. He goes, obviously, it's not enough power to power the hotels and the slot machines, but it's definitely a step in the right direction and a notable achievement. Let's not pretend, says Stephen, that progress is impossible or something that can only be achieved by 20. 50. That's from Stephen. That's a great email. And how about this one from Cam who says, I wanted to respond to Garth who wrote in talking about how environmentally friendly Canadian oil and gas is, but let's discuss how we're impacting where we eat and live. We have yet to allow water to be safely released from any of the oil sand sites. How can we claim environmental friendliness with a $300 billion liability with no secured funds while oil companies take their profits back to shareholders? He says if oil and gas really was the way to go, why don't companies invest in more mines, more infrastructure. Companies are prioritizing extracting maximum value from existing assets as opposed to expanding them. Now, we need to use our current laws and tax dollars to transition the oil sands beyond combustion, electrify, and strengthen our electrical grid for renewable investment. He says, forget about this moratorium from a libertarian. Let's ensure that Alberta continues to lead the world, lead the nation in innovation. That is the real Alberta spirit, the real Alberta way. So, says Cameron signing off, Hey, Garth, wake up and pull your head out of the exhaust pipe. I like that one. We'll end there. The Flamethrower is proudly presented by the DQs of Northwest Edmonton and Sherwood Park. When you're there, you let them know Real Talk sent you. Coming up next week, we're going to check in with Charles Adler and Sabria DeVetti's coming back for a chat early in 2024. We can't wait. Have a wonderful and safe weekend, everybody. One love. Thanks for supporting Real Talk. Real Talk
1: is hosted by Ryan Jesperson. Executive Producer Josh Dunford. Technical Producer John Hicks. General Manager Katie Cook Chivers. Account Coordinator Lawrence Durlego, Human Resources Lena Shepard, Website Design Mike Johnston. VoiceOver by me, Carrie Skelton. Real Talk's editorial board is Sapria Dubetti, Ahmed Ali, Brandy Morin, Ann Castleman, Corey Hogan, Harman Candola.